we are in John, John's gospel. You say, haven't we been in John for a while? Yes. And we're going to stay in it until we cover it all. And today, we are in John chapter 10. Okay? Um, we left off at verse 21. And Jesus in, is in the midst of actually an argument with the Jewish people of his day. And he's been arguing since chapter 6 <laughs> with people. And today... In verse 22, it says this, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. So actually, chapter 7 and 8 was during the Feast of Booths. That was a, a fall uh, festival in Jerusalem. Now, we move three months closer to the crucifixion. So it's winter time. He's going to be crucified in spring. So this is another uh, feast, Feast of Dedication. Anybody know what the Feast of Dedication is called? Hanukkah, yeah. Um, so he is celebrating Hanukkah, all right? So it's winter, and Jesus was walking in the, t uh, the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, which means Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Now, how did he tell them? Well, through his miracles. The works or the miracles I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Right? He, he, he uh, healed the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. He uh, opened the eyes of a blind man. He fed thousands of people. He's doing miracles that clearly point to him as Messiah. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you were of my sheep, you would understand what I'm saying and you would follow me. He's saying the fact that you don't get it, you're not my sheep. Now, he makes an incredible promise to his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is, has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is a promise of eternal security. And I think this is so important that we're going to come back next week and spend more time on the promise of eternal security. But I want to move ahead today to this next part where he then says, okay, so, so first, first he says, um, I give them eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And then no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, wait a minute. Who's God here? God the Father or Jesus? Well, he says this. I and the Father are one. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. I and the Father are one. It's not as simple as it might at first seem. 
okay? So, so let, me, uh, let me just pause there in, in the reading, all right? So what does it mean that I and the Father are one, okay? It's not easy to define what this is saying, but it's important, okay? Many, many Christians have kind of a hazy, fuzzy, kind of orthodox, kind of heretical view of God. He's up there and there's three of them or I, something we sang about the Trinity and it, it's, it's confusing. So I want to take some time and really zero in. What does it mean that I and the Father are one? Um, why is this important? Well, let's go back to the Ten Commandments. If you were to ask a lot of people, what are, what are the Ten Commandments about? A lot of people would say, well, they're about how we should treat one another. Like, don't steal stuff. Don't kill people. You know, things like that. And, and, and that's true. But I would come back and I would say, what about God? Do they have anything to say about God? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's, there's only one God. And don't bow down to an idol. Well, kind of right, but the first commandment is even more nuanced than, than just have only one God. Let's, let's take a look at it here. The Ten Commandments actually begin earlier in verse 1, okay? And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God, okay? And, and a lot of times we read that word Lord and we just say it's a synonym for God. Lord, God, uh, it, it's just, no. Lord is his name. He has a name in the Hebrew, so people debate how to pronounce it, Yahweh, some say Jehovah, but he's not just saying, I am God, your God. He's saying, I am the Lord. That's my name. I have a specific name. And I have revealed myself with specific words in this specific book. And I've revealed myself through specific acts. In fact, look at what he says here. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am that particular God, not just a general generic concept of God floating in the sky, all right? So that's who I am, and here's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Not just have only one God in your mind, but that God, Yahweh. I am the true God, no others, okay? Then people would say, oh, the second commandment is don't bow down to an idol. Well, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, all right? But it's not, you're not okay if you just say, well, I don't have any images in my house, okay? I don't bow down to statues. The, the deeper point here is not just about metal images, 
It's about making sure we have a proper view of who God is. We can commit idolatry with metal or through mental images. Okay? So if we get wrong who God is, there are consequences. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, all right, there it is again, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There's great blessing in getting it right, and there's great danger in getting it wrong. So, you say, why should a church take a Sunday to figure out who God is? That's not very practical. <laughs> and I would say, yep, that's about where we are today in many churches. Oh, it was a boring Sunday. We talked about God. You know, there was nothing on how to be a better husband. or but Getting God right is the most important thing we can do with our lives. All right? So, who is this God? Now, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, you, you need to know that for the, the, the first century of Christianity, that's when the apostles lived and wrote and uh, spread the gospel. Second century is when Christians were running for their lives, being persecuted by the Roman government. And then Constantine in uh, early 300s um, says it's, it, basically he makes it safe to be a Christian. So now theologians can say, all right, let's really study the scriptures and figure out who is God? Who is this Jesus? How are they related? And um, people died fighting over and being banished and being killed over the question, how does the Trinity work? And then in 325, they, they had a council called the Council of Nicaea. We're going to read it uh, at the end here. But in the Council of, of Nicaea, some words are used to describe the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about this one word, one. Okay, in what way are Jesus and the Father one? And I want to do this by pointing out three errors that people have fallen into in figuring out the Trinity. Right? The first error is, is uh, what we call oneness theology. Now, this is not uh, found in all Pentecostal groups. But oneness Pentecostal theology holds to this, this oneness concept. You say, what's that? Well, biblically, we just sang about the Trinity, holy, holy, holy. Okay, beautiful, that was great, and I love the way you... Uh, by the way, holy, 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 and um, all creatures of our God and King. Who wrote all creatures of our God and King? Nobody from here can answer that. Not Luther, further back. Francis of Assisi. 
1182 is when he was born. All right. So when people say, oh, I, we don't do the old hymns. We, di we did such an old hymn today that it covers us for the rest of the year. Right? Okay. All right. So um, here's, here's how biblically you could formulate the doctrine of the Trinity. There's only one God. He is one in essence but three in person, all at the same time, okay? Now, oneness theology holds to what is called modalism. What does that mean? They say God is one in essence and three in person, but only one at a time. The Father changes his mode and morphs into the Son because you can't have two at the same time, they would say. And then the Son morphs into the Spirit. So while we would say God is one in essence, three in person at the same time, they would say God is one in essence and three in person, one at any given time. Right? Now, um, why does this matter? Well, first of all, we're supposed to have a proper picture of who God is. That's why. Right? But let me um, give you some other reasons why this matters. If we were to ask somebody who held to oneness theology, there's four questions that I don't think they'd be able to answer. Is Jesus really claiming to be his own father? I and the Father are one. Am, is the Son really claiming to be the Father? Okay, that's a question. Number two, who was he praying to in the garden when he sweat blood? And he said, Lord, take this away from me, Father. Take this away from who was he? Who was he? Was he not praying to another person? Okay. Number three, what about some of the pronouns Jesus uses? If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we, not I, we will come into him and make our abode with him. Right? And then finally, the gospel itself, the cross itself, whose wrath went upon Jesus on the cross? We sang about the Father pouring out his wrath on the son was he pouring out his wrath on himself so even our concept of the gospel and the cross and the atonement requires us to understand that there are three distinct persons coexisting at the same time uh, in the trinity now i don't want to get too technical but let me just show you something kind of cool all right um I, Father, one. Now, in English, the word one, it's just the word one, and it can mean different things in different contexts. In Greek, the word one can be spelled 12 different ways depending on the part of speech it is. Okay? There will be a quiz afterwards, so no. 
Um, <laughs> but here's what I want you to see. This is in the nominative case, all right? And just like in Spanish, any of you speak Spanish? Okay, any of you speak French? Okay. Um, there's masculine and feminine, right? Are there, is it in French, masculine and feminine? In English, <laughs> our genders are all goofed up these days, but um, in, in French, German, in Spanish, and in Greek, there's masculine, feminine, and neuter. Okay? If Jesus wanted to say, I and the Father are the same person, then Father, that's clearly masculine, and the, the one, he should have used the word ace, because that's masculine. If we're the same person, then I, he would have used a masculine word for one. Guess what he uses? Neuter. Pain. Okay? So what this tells you is I and the Father are one in some sense, but we're not the same person. And the grammar itself teaches that. All right? That's enough. That's enough. Are, are you with me on that? Okay? This lady right here, she's studying Greek right now. Did I pass? Am I good? All right, thank you. Okay. All right, so now you go, all right, thank you. They're not the same person. Now, error number two comes from the Jehovah's Witness world. If there were a Jehovah's Witness here, they would say, amen. Jesus and the Father are not the same person person and they can't be because Jesus is not God. He's God's son, but he's not God. The verse simply means that they are one in will. Okay? So so they would say, yep. Father masculine, one neuter, they're not the same person. Um, because Jesus is not God, God the Father is God, Jesus is not God, and the way they are one is they're one in will. Okay? Now, um, think about that. Think about the audacity of a non-God creature or person Claiming that they are perfectly aligned in will with God the Father. So D.A. Carson, who's a, a, a commentator, he writes this. If Jesus' will is exhaustively one with his Father's will, some kind of metaphysical or essential unity is presupposed. In other words, we're not going to say that Jesus and the Father are the same person. Agreed. But the fact that he's claiming to have the same will as the Father means that there's some deeper unity here than just purpose or will. All right? Not the same person, but there's a unity that goes deeper than just the same game plan. Okay? Now, let me, let me press on this further. John's gospel is simply unfolding the first verse 
John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right from the beginning, John hits us with the Word being someone distinct from God, and the Word was God, and he's one with God. All right? Now, I'm not saying we can put words to this and figure it all out and put God in a nice little box and, okay, you stay in there. All right? But this has to mean that there are two distinct persons, yet there's such a unity, more than just unity of will, that John can say he was with God and he was God. And, and the way we try to formulate that is with God is one in essence, but three in person all at the same time. Okay? Uh, another, uh, another argument for this is look what Jesus is claiming to, to do. He's claiming to do something only God can do. Look, God says, my, or Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. God is able to save and keep you saved. And Jesus claims the same thing. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If he's not God, whoever this is has quite the audacity to claim that he can keep you saved. Right? Let me give you a third reason to believe that, that, okay, they're not the same person, but there's a unity, a divine unity here. The Jews try to kill him because they think he's claiming to be God. The context, whatever Jesus is saying here, in the context they sure get the message that he's claiming to be God. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, verse 31. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? What, which work? Is it, was it me feeding the 5,000, healing the man born blind? Why are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They sure are, are, are hearing Jesus to be claiming that he is God. Okay? Now, if you've ever done battle <laughs> with a Jehovah's Witness, they will say they were stoning him because they misunderstood what he was saying. Okay, now here's where it gets complicated. Are you all with me still? Are you all, are you all going, this is like the greatest sermon I've ever heard? Okay, all right. Because this is going to get really hard. Right. Jesus is going to go on to defend himself. And it might sound like he is discrediting his claim to be God here. And here's what he does. He quotes from, from Psalm 82. So let's take a look at Psalm 82 first. Okay. Now, God is speaking. Psalm 80, 
82.6. I said you are gods. So he's calling somebody gods. Sons of the Most High, all of you. You are sons of God and you are gods. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Now, we don't know exactly who God is addressing, but it's either judges, princes, or kings. So scripture does have this idea that anybody in a position of legitimate authority is a representative of God. And here, God calls them gods, small g, and sons of the Most High. Um, I think he's being sarcastic with them. Yeah, you think you're gods, and you are le legitimately because you represent me, but you're all going to die. All right, so this is humans. Now, Jesus is going to point to this to say, whoa, 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 what are you doing stoning me when, when others have been called gods? So let's look at this. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, in your Old Testament? I said you are gods. So here he's quoting Psalm 82. God says, I said you are gods. Now Jesus is saying, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the Jews, and scripture cannot be broken, and I'm going to spend some time in the future on this, on the inerrancy of scripture, but he's just saying, you know, this is true, this can't be disregarded. Do you say of him, okay, so if these people were called gods, do you say of him, talking about himself, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. If Psalm 82, in Psalm 82, God calls other humans gods and sons of God, why are you throwing stones at me? Okay? Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses do this. Right? They say um, Jesus is not claiming to be God. He's claiming no more authority, no more godness than these people. Okay? But the problem is, Jesus is not offering this as an argument of being identical with these people. He's offering this as a how much greater than argument. If God could call ordinary human rulers gods, how much more should he call me the one who God has set aside, consecrated, and sent into the world? Okay, so the Jehovah's Witnesses say he's equating himself with Psalm 82. I think he's doing a how much greater than argument. If they can be called gods, how much more so can I? But it slows them down enough to go, oh, well, let's think about that. And they, they, uh, they don't stone him. Okay, well, they want to. Uh, in fact, here's what happens. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe in me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Are they, are they pacified? No. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. If he was saying, no, 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 you misunderstand, I'm not God, then why are they still trying to arrest him? 
Okay? Now, all that to say, oneness theology says that Jesus and the Father are the same person. No, they're not the same person. Jehovah's Witnesses say um, Jesus is not God. Well, here he is claiming to be God. So he's not the same person as the Father, but when he says, I and the Father are one, it's deeper than just a, a, a oneness of purpose. There's an essence of unity. Now, last thing. Mormons. Mormons go, yep. Jesus is God. Good job, Pastor Brian. You proved that Jesus is God. But then, here's what they do. They go, and you can be a God too. Right? They are polytheists. They believe that you can become a God. So they want the word one here to mean that I and the Father are one in purpose. Okay? But they, they don't want them to be the same person because Jesus became a God. And you can become a God. And there can be many gods. And this is simply refuted by the rest of Scripture. The rest of Scripture says there's only one God. Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. For I am God and there is no other. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. Okay? So, you've got these different errors you can bounce into and out of. And I think as... Uh, as time goes on and we study, I think the, the Council of Nicaea got it right. God is one in essence, three in person, all at the same time. Jesus is God. He is not the same person as the Father. He is a distinct person, but there is only one God and you can't be gods, all right? So here's how I want to close this. The Nicene Creed, we're going we're to um, recite the Nicene Creed together. There's a statement on God the Father. There's a statement on God the Son. And look at this language that they use. Uh, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. And now they use specific language to define who this Son is. He's God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. So he's begotten. He is a Son begotten by the Father. But he's fully God, fully light. He is true God from true God. And then here's, here's the key phrase. Begotten, not made. You go, what's that mean? Well, the word begotten communicates the idea that he is a son, but there never was he made. There never was a time he did not exist. 
So sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's phrased eternally begotten of the Father. And I'm not saying this makes perfect logical sense, but it makes sense of Scripture. Never was there a time when Jesus didn't exist because he's God from God. The definition of God is that he's eternal. He's begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Okay? And just, um, we'll read this. And then there's this thing on the Holy Spirit. And I just want to clarify a couple of things. We believe in the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, <laughs> do you know that the Greek Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church are around 1,000 A.D. split up over whether the Holy Spirit proceeds just from the Father or from the Father and the Son. Okay? There's something to split a church over, right? Um, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. You say, I, we're not Catholic. Well, that's small c Catholic. It just means universal. Okay? Apostolic. You go, we're not apostolic. Well, we're apostolic in that we are built on the foundation of the apostles' writings, okay? We look forward, oh, we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we would interpret that to mean not that baptism forgives your sins, but it proclaims that your sins have been forgiven, all right? So, I mean, we could spend a whole year on the apostles or on the Nicene Creed, but um, I think what, what I would like us to do is recite it together, especially focusing in on this uh, uniqueness of, of God the Son. So, would you please stand? And let's recite the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come. Amen. Stay standing and worship team, come on up.